Well, hey, y'all, my name is Simon Stokes. Uh, it's good for y'all to be here and to join us tonight. Um, I want to say, before we really get started, that RUF is a community for all kinds of people, that there are people who are very organized and very put together, and there are people who are very messy and very not organized. I actually fall more towards that end. And I live, I live by piles, just piles of things. My car is full of piles, our house is full of piles, and that's me. That's all me. <laughs> My wife is the opposite. Um, together, we make a couple. <laughs> but uh, especially, I want to say that not only are we for all kinds of people, but that really, like, a lot of the best way to experience RUF is through community groups. And actually sitting together with people, talking about your life, being with other people. If you haven't tried out a community group, I just want to say, look through and see what we've got. There should be a time, hopefully, that would match up with what you need and that works for you. Um, but, man, there are so many great community groups and such great leaders. And I just, I really want to encourage you towards those things. Not just my stuff, uh, but other people's stuff as well. Um, so, moving into this. Uh, we are in week two of a three-part series on community. Kind of realized at some point in December that, you know, community seems like this big deal that we talk about a lot. I should do a short series on that. Uh, so <laughs> here we are. Um, and tonight we're at the end of John's Gospel or towards the end of John's Gospel in John chapter 17, uh, which is a part of the Gospel where Jesus has spent like five chapters of this book, like talking with the disciples, the guys that he loves the most. And he's about to, to be executed the next day. And he's just pouring out his heart to these people, to his friends, these guys who spent so much time with him and loved these men. And he's pouring out his heart to him, and he ends this time of just sharing with them by praying. And he prays not only for them, but here at the end of this, we get jump onto the back end of his prayer. He prays for the people that will believe in him through them. Which means that if you ever want to know what Jesus is praying for you, like this is the place to look. That Jesus prays for his people who come to know him later, like thousands of years later, like what we're doing. And so tonight I want to look at what is it that Jesus prays for you? What does he look at for you? As, or what does he consider for you as really important right before he goes to the cross? So let me read this, John 17, and we'll get started. This is Jesus praying. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. That's God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we do pray that you would be with us tonight, that you would walk amongst us, or that we would hear you in your word, and Lord, that you would be beautiful and good, and true. And Lord, that as we look on you, and look on the person of your son Jesus, that we would be changed. Lord, that those who are hurting would be healed. 
Lord, that those who uh, are dead in themselves and in their sin would find life. Lord, that those um, who need to grow and need to grow out, out of themselves, Lord, that they would do that and grow into you. Lord, we become like what we worship. Lord, let us worship you and become like you tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. I read a story uh, not long, too long ago from a World War II vet, and he was talking about actually being on a Navy cruiser in the Pacific Ocean in the middle of World War II. And he said that one night he was wrapping up his, uh, his last, kind of last watch there from like 8 to 12, and he slips back into his bunk and puts the covers over himself to go to sleep right as two Japanese torpedoes hit the front of their boat. And he said that he was, his bunk was in the back of the boat, the torpedoes hit in the front, and it breaks off the front of the boat so that the engine is still going and the ship just goes like that under the water. And he manages to escape with about 100 other guys and jump out into the ocean holding just a wooden crate and just kind of floats there. And it's him and these 100 guys kind of floating, bobbing in the ocean. And they think to themselves, you know, we'll be rescued like any time now because, you know, the Navy knew where we were going and we didn't go too far off course and here we are. Like, the Navy will get us. But a day passes and then another day and then a third day. And by the third day where they're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and the sun is beating down on them and they've got nothing to eat or drink, he, he realized that some of them actually start to drink the seawater, which is bad. Because the more that you drink the water, the thirstier you get. And the thirstier you get, the more water you actually start to drink. And he said, you know, you would be sitting there and it would be maddening to be in this water because it looks like regular water, it feels like regular water. When you get thirsty enough, it's not that bad. And yet the more you drank of it, the thirstier you got. And he said it wound up like wiping out like half the guys that survived the shipwreck. Like they don't make it. Look, we want real community. We long for real community. You long for good friendships. And that's good. You're made for that. But we're surrounded by all these substitutes. All these substitutes that offer kind of an approach to kind of quench our thirst for community. And they can't. I mean, do you ask yourself what you're looking for when you start to scroll through Instagram? Like, it looks like friends. It sounds like my friends. But the more I look into it for friendship, the thirstier for a real friendship it makes me. Like, who hasn't sat in their, their dorm room and thought, I'm so bored, and then just scroll and scroll and scroll for like half an hour, and then you kind of pop your head up and, to take a breather and say, I'm still so bored. I don't know what to do. Like, it makes you thirstier, and yet the thirstier you get, the more you look at it and go into it, and yet the more you go into it, the thirstier you get. There's a lady named Sherry Turkle. She's an MIT researcher, kind of like a, I don't know what you would call it, like a psychologist, anthropologist, but she does a lot of studies on the effects of technology on, on us, on people. She came out with a book a couple of years ago called Alone Together, and in it, I mean, if you ever want to read a book that, make, that feels like there's a really smart pe- person like leafing through your inner life and writing about it, like this is the book for you. But in it, uh, she's kind of writing about technology and its effects upon us. And she says this. She says, these days, insecure in our relationships and anxious about intimacy, we look to technology. So like iPhones, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, 
for ways to be in relationships and protect ourselves from them at the same time. So do you hear what she's saying? She, we want to be in relationships and we want to be protected from relationships at the same time. We fear the risk and the disappointments of relationships with our fellow humans. We expect more from technology and less from each other. I think a good chunk of this campus is lonely people who expect a lot from their technology and not much from one another. And that in that they're trying to pretend that they're not lonely. Because into that loneliness comes your phone, which is always on and always on your schedule. It just kind of works for you in ways that other people don't work. But the more that we go to this thing, to act, which is not a friend, but to ask it to do something that only a friend can do, the less real friendship that we have. And our problem comes when we look into the things that can't provide us with real community to provide us with that thing. And we get frustrated and lonely and angry and bored and cut off. But in order to have real community and real friendship, we actually have to do those things together and put down the devices and be together. And so tonight, I want to look at Jesus' prayer here. And I just want to walk through what he wants us to have together in community and in fellowship with him and with one another. So I've got three things I think he's, he wants for us here. That one, he wants us to have unity through his word. He wants us to have glory through his revelation. And he wants us to have mission through his love. Unity through the word, glory through revelation, mission through his love. So let's start with unity through the word. Jesus prays, so that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Look, y'all, you were created for community. It's written on your insides. And the reason that it is, is that you were made to be like God. And you were made to be in community with Him. Which means that you were made to be in community with one another. Because, bear with me in this, you're a big pants person who got to UNC for a reason. But in the Bible, we see God is more than just one. That God is a we. He's an us. He's a trinity. A tri-unity of Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see that here in this passage as Jesus prays. But God is lover, beloved, and love itself. Where we see God the Father ruling. We see the Son atoning and reigning. We see the love between the Father and the Son as being such an intense, beautiful, tangible relationship that it becomes a person. The Holy Spirit. That in the definition of God, there is community and relationship. I mean, it's why we can say that God has love as a fundamental part of his character. That it is so because he's always been in this tight-knit community that's marked by love. Like, he didn't learn how to love at some point. It's not some secondary thing that he picked up along the way. He's always been in community, and so God has always been in love. And because you are made to be like God, you are made for community where you're unified in love. Like, you long for it. You think about it all the time. When you don't have it, you are deeply troubled. It's why we all have these like, clubs all over campus, right? That we're constantly looking for community and trying to make community and step into it. And we want to live in this unified kind of communal existence with people around us. Because it's written on our insides. Some of you feel like you've got to pick up like the weirdest hobby. And become like the most eccentric person that you can. Like the most unique person. So that people will come and gather to you around your eccentricities. Because you want community. Others of you feel like you just want to see 
who the coolest person in the room is and like what they're wearing and how they're talking and then you're just going to go do that. But both of these types of people want the same thing. Like you both want this kind of unified community. But some of you are lonely because you're so unique that you feel like nobody gets you. Some of you are lonely because you're so much a part of like the crowd that you feel like nobody knows you. But what if that loneliness was just a symptom of a problem? Like having a bad cough is just a symptom of a cold. Like what if the real problem with our loneliness was that we were made for this thing that we can't give ourselves? That we're made for community that's unified and we can't just make it ourselves or manufacture it through our clubs? Look at what Jesus says right here at the start of this. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one. Look, we want to craft the right identity, and then from that make unity. But what Jesus is saying here is that unity is given by God through his word. He's saying that God has a better word for you than you do. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so they also may be in us. That God's word invites you into community with God and into his life. Look, what you want in being super unique and out there and weird, and what you want in being the most regular, plain vanilla, generic person in the crowd, really has the same source. That you want to be on the inside with the inside people. Like you want someone to sign off on you so that you can stop comparing yourself to other people. And what Jesus is saying is that you can't do that on your own. That it's got to come through the word of the gospel. That we want to be known because we were made for that. And yet as Sherry Turkle is pointing out, we're afraid to be known. And what I would say is that we're afraid to be known because we're sinners. Which means that we love to live in the dark so that we can do what we want to do. And we're just afraid that people would find that out. But God himself, as Jesus prays here, O righteous Father, God himself is righteous. Which means that he is the standard and the source of what it means to be right. Of what it means to be on the inside. And he alone calls us out of the dark and makes unrighteous people righteous. That he joins with you in friendship through Jesus. That he invites us into the life of Jesus, into his unity, and the friendship of Father and Son and Spirit. And we don't experience that alone. But we experience that together as a people. Look, this is why you need to speak into one another's lives with the gospel. Like, it's not that you couldn't, like, read a quick book and, like, figure out what it is. Or, like, you know, Google Tim Tebow and see what Tim Tebow says about it, right? <laughs> like, every time he got a touchdown, he would tell you. Uh, you could figure it out pretty quick. But what we need is to speak the gospel to one another. We need to experience it in community. This is why you need to speak into one another's, one another's lives and sit with one another and put down your phone and slow down your schedule and have a real conversation. Look, most of you don't need to meet with me or one of our interns or a counselor. What most of you need to do is to meet with one another and to actually do life together. That's why we do community groups. Because I'm just a limited person and so are interns. But you all have one another. And that's what God has called you into, into his life, is with one another. Look, just think about what's going on in this prayer, too. 
that Jesus is praying this for you in the Bible. That for people who are maybe looking for signs of, is God at work in my life? Like, I don't have all these big feelings. I don't see all these amazing things happening around me. For people who wonder that sometimes, do you know what it would be if you were to sit down and speak a good word into your friend's life? Or to hear a good word from your friend? Maybe you should think of that as a sign that God has answered Jesus' prayer. And that God is at work in your life. Look, if that's the unity through the word, then what's the glory through the revelation? Jesus says, the glory that you've given to me, I have given to them. I sat down with somebody a while ago, and he was across the table from me, and he just kind of looks at me, he's like, Simon, what's the deal with Jesus? Like, is he teaching us about God, or is he showing us about God? Like, what is he doing here? And Not as expressive as that. <laughs> like, is Jesus a teacher, or is Jesus an example? I would say that he is a revelation. That he teaches and shows us not sort of what God is like, but exactly what God is like. And exactly what God's glory is like. That he's constantly taking that glory and handing it to the people around him. That as he invites us into his community, he invites us into that glory too. To live with him and be together in his glory. That his glory exists to be passed around and shared and passed to people so they can come and understand what God is exactly like. Think about this. There are times in your life when somebody's going to make you mad. Or someone's going to hurt you and hurt your feelings. And the way they're going to do that is they're not going to say a word to you. But they're going to say a word about you to all these people around you. And that's going to make you so mad. And that's going to hurt. And when that happens, it is so easy to pull back from that person and break community with them. But do you know what Jesus once said as the you know, manifestation of God's glory? That if your brother or your sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault between you and them alone. So like have a direct conversation with them. And you can hear that and you can be like, well, why do I have to be the one to take the first step? Like, why don't they? And the reason is because that's not what God did. That's not how God glorified himself. That when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his son. That he sought us out when we didn't want him to seek us out and we had hurt him. And it was his glory to do so. And when you seek out people who have hurt you, even when they don't want to be sought out, and you reconcile with them, it is your glory to do so as well. Like That's the glory that God shares with us. I mean, think about how mind-blowing what's going on in this scene is. That Jesus is here praying with people who are about to leave him and betray him. All the disciples leave. He's praying for us in this room. All these people who have just betrayed him so many times. And sin against him on a daily basis. And yet he's pursuing us. And he's handing us his glory and he's saying, pass it around. That His glory is the character of who He is and He shares it with us. That His glory is God breaking into the world and seeking out people who don't want to be sought out and forgiving them and bringing them into community with Him. And we would never guess that about Him unless He revealed it about Himself. But he, when He reveals it and gives it to us, then it means that we have to give that to the people around us. We have to give them the glory that we've received. I don't know how much... You know about South Africa under the apartheid 
in the 80s, 70s, right around that time. But there was a guy uh, there named Adrian Vlock. I think I'm saying his name right, uh, Adrian Vlock. And he was this high-level government official under apartheid, very, very racist man. His job was kind of head of the police force, which was trying to suppress um, the movement for civil rights, especially for, for black Africans there under South America, or in South Africa, sorry, not South America. And he was just, he was vile in the way that he did this. I mean, at one point, he managed to get a hold of one of the leaders, a man named Frank Chicane's clothes, and put poison in them, packed them into his bag, and then Frank put the clothes on, and they started to poison him, and he managed to get them off before he died, and, like, survived the attack. But, like, I mean, just underhanded, evil things. And Adrian Block is kind of doing his thing, and our apartheid falls apart. And he loses his job, he loses his friends, he loses everything. And his wife dies. I mean, just everything is gone. And he says that one night he's alone by himself in a hotel room, and he opens the drawer, and there's like a Gideon Bible in there. And he starts to read that Bible. And lo and behold, he becomes a Christian. And he starts to think about his life, and he realizes all the vile things he's done, and he wants to make amends for it. He wants to be reconciled to the people that he's hurt. So he goes to Frank Chicane's office, the guy who tried to poison And he's got a bowl and a towel and a pitcher of water. He has no appointment. He just knocks on the door and he says, Can I come and can I wash your feet? Like, I know there's nothing I can do to atone for what I tried to do in murdering you. Or trying to murder you. But can I wash your feet? And they sit and they talk about it. And they decide to do something else. They decide that Frank will have his feet washed by Adrian but they're going to televise it on national television. And that it's going to be this moment where the whole nation can see this white man who tried to kill this black man and this black man forgiving this white man. And it'll be this picture of the gospel. You know, that is more than racial reconciliation. That is God's glory breaking into the world through people forgiving one another because of the glory that's been given to them. And that's God's glory in Revelation. Look, if that's what is the what do we mean then by the revelation or by the mission through love? What is mission through love? Love is the glue of community, right? It's what we want. It's why you come in here. But it's also the mission of community. Jesus prays here. He says, "You Father in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me." Like that's our mission, right? That we would be together so the world would believe. And then he says his mission. I made known to them your name. I'll continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That the mission of community where you're caught up in the life of God together with one another is to love. That is to love one another. It is to love this campus. Is to do that in your dorms, in your majors, like with people you randomly meet. Well, shouldn't we kind of be just telling people about Jesus? Like, isn't that the mission? Like, yeah, on some level. But how will they listen to you if you haven't loved them? And how will they believe that we can sincerely love them if we can't love one another? Like, isn't that the problem of Gary the pit preacher? Like, where he is just spewing, like, mean, vitriolic people out there. Like, he told me my shorts were too short one time. (laughs) 
They're not too short. It's so weird, right? <laughs> but, man, we have to love people for them to listen to us. And for them to believe us when they start to listen, we have to love each other. That that is the mission of community. Like evangelism can have programs, but the heart of the program is to ask, how can we love people that don't yet love God? Like, what do they need? I want to suggest this to you. What if you found a person who doesn't know Jesus, and you just tried to consistently show up in their life and ask yourself whenever you saw them, what does this person need from me right now? Like, do they need someone to eat lunch with? I will eat lunch with them. Do they need a housing assignment for next year? I'll see what I can do. But to spend time with them... To care for them when you sin against them, which if you're a sinner, you will eventually do. To get off your high horse and to say, I am so sorry. I am someone who deeply needs Jesus. Like, will you forgive me? And to move into life with them. Because what they need is your love. And what they need is to see how you've been loved by Jesus. Before they'll listen to any of like our arguments or our apologetics. Like they need to see that love. Because humble love draws people to Jesus. It draws us to one another. And that is just so much better than a program. I just have to stop here and say that as someone who has been a Christian for like over a decade at this point, which is not that long, but I'm a pastor now, that all of these things are hard. That unity is hard. That glory is hard. And reconciliation is hard. Love is hard. But all those things are so crucial for community and friendship. And they are what Jesus wants for us. But they are so hard. Because none of them come from inside of us. None of them do. All of them turn on us receiving from Jesus. And seeing how much God has loved us. And then taking that love and giving that to the people around us. Look, in a place where you feel like you've got to be one person on the outside... And another person on the inside, where the real me, someone I've got to keep very close to my chest. And I'll sometimes maybe show that to a few people. Every now and again, when something major happens, but for the most part, the real me is going to stay alone inside. Like, in a place like that, community is just so hard. And we can feel so lonely. Like, we live on the starvation diet of friendship. Like, where I get a lunch here, a couple of hours with people every now and again. Do some big fun thing on the weekend. But for the most part, I'm just kind of scrolling through my phone and getting a few crumbs of real friendship. And community is hard in that. But what's the cure for that? What's the cure? Because you need more than just friends who kind of get what you do and a confidence boost. That what you need to see to deal with that is God's love for you and Jesus. That this is really what Jesus is praying for you the whole time in this prayer. That's what he's talking about, all this confusing, overlapping language. Like, I and you, and you and me, and them and us. That God the Father would see you in Jesus, and that that would be enough for him. And that you would see God in Jesus, and you would know that he is satisfied with you. And that you would approach one another through Jesus And you'd say, if this person is enough for him, and I'm enough for him, I guess we can be enough for one another. 
We can know one another, seek one another out, be reconciled to one another when we fight. The, the thing that keeps most of us living in the dark and subsisting on the breadcrumbs of friendship, that that would melt over time as we see how much God has loved us in Jesus. And so I want to end with this. I want you to imagine with me for a moment a very fun thing. That you had gotten a job working at Disneyland. And that on the first day of that job, they told you that you were going to be the one wearing the Mickey Mouse costume. And that that was amazing. And so you show up to work, you go to the locker room, and you put on like the big hat with like the ears and like the grin, and you pull up the red shorts, and you put on like the giant like white uh, hands, and like the big yellow shoes, and you step out and you start to walk through Disneyland. And you see the Disney princesses over here, maybe a Buzz Lightyear over there, a few stormtroopers over here. But in Disneyland, nobody, and I mean nobody, is a bigger deal than Mickey Mouse. Like, you are number one. Children are coming up to you and taking pictures with you. Old people are putting their arms around you and hugging you and telling you what an inspiration you are. When they're breaking ground on a new ride, you are up there with the CEO of Disney to cut the red tape. It is amazing that you put on this Mickey Mouse costume and you've done nothing to gain all these things, but all you've had to do is step into Mickey's life and to wear that life with these people and you get all the benefits of that. And people love you for it. It's amazing. Now think about this. When the Bible talks about having faith in Jesus, or Jesus asks that you would be in Him, and with Him, and with the Father, then what it's talking about is that you'd be accepted based on who Jesus is and what He's done. That you are stepping into His life. And that you leave all of your good and all of your bad on the outside, and in God's, Jesus, you put, in God's eyes you put on Jesus. This means that God deals with you like he deals with Jesus. That we are in him and treated by God as though we were him. Does God ever feel ashamed of Jesus? No. Is God ever angry at Jesus? No. Is God ever disappointed that Jesus didn't come through? No. Like, God loves Jesus. And when you put on Jesus, God looks at you like that. That he on the cross put on you and got what you deserved. And you in faith, when he invites you into his life, to his glory, into his community, you put on him. And you get what he deserves. And for people who run from community and run from one another and live on little breadcrumbs of friendship through Instagram and Facebook, and a quick text every now and again. What we need to break down our shame and our fear of other people is to know that we put on Jesus and God deals with us like Jesus. And then we do that for one another, that we should deal with one another like that as well. That if God has forgiven you and loved you, I forgive you and love you too. That's what we most need. That's what our community most needs. That's what you most need. And that's my hope for you, and that's Jesus' prayer for you tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you love us, and you deal with us like you deal with Jesus. Lord, help us to live in him, 
to put on His life and be transformed by Him. Lord, to approach one another in Him and through Him. And Lord, to love each other. Lord, to be reconciled to one another. Lord, that for people in here who like, are mad at one another and don't talk to each other anymore, Lord, let us find reconciliation through you. Lord, let there be peace where there are enemies. Lord, let us be agents of reconciliation and people who really love each other and love this campus well. And let us do that because we know how much you've loved us. In your name we pray. Amen.